I was thinking, there's no better place I want to be on a Thursday night than with you guys. I'm Erin, for those of you whom I have not met. Um, I get to spend a lot of my time with freshmen. So if you're not a freshman, I may not have met you yet. Or if you're a freshman, I may not have met you either. There's a lot of you to meet, which has been really, really, really fun. Not to offend any other group, but this freshman class is really amazing. Um, very, but last year's class was good, and the year before that, the year before that, but, but this one has captured my heart very early on. So tonight I'm going to talk about prayer now that I've got you all riled up. Um, <laughs> the divisions are starting. We'll, we'll duke it out on the lawn with all the chairs later. Um, but I'm going to talk about prayer. Um, a little bit about me. I grew up in rural Oklahoma in the middle of nowhere. Audrey grew up in the city. Um, actually, there's one city in Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma City. And whenever you go, you say, I'm going to the city. And everyone knows you're going to Oklahoma City. Tulsa is big T, little T. I don't know. T-town is what we called it in my house. Um, did you hear that? My house that comes out sometimes when I, when I talk about being from Oklahoma. But I grew up in a really interesting home in Oklahoma. Um, my parents are very health conscious. I was raised by medical professionals. And um, we ate very healthy. We played team sports. We even played family sports after dinner. Um, both of my parents didn't just have gym memberships. They went like four to five times each week. Um, my dad would do crunches during commercial breaks of Monday night football. Like, that was my normal. That was just how I thought everybody grew up. Um, and I'll just be honest, I hate to exercise. Like, I wish I hated sin as much as I hated to exercise. I, I hate it. I hate to be hot and sweaty. I hate to have trouble breathing and to cause myself pain. There's just nothing about it that is enjoyable to me. So really my pattern has been to avoid it at all costs. And I've been able to get away with it because of genetics. Both of my parents are small. My mom's like, you're going to have osteoporosis. I probably will, but it's not my fault. It's my bones, right? Um, so I can, by eating healthy, I can kind of maintain a normal BMI, which was kind of my norm. Well, not kind of. It was my norm until a few years ago. So I grew up intellectually knowing, why exercise is important. Obviously, my parents modeled that for us. Um, at the dinner table, we would even talk about it. Um, my brother has a PhD in exercise physiology. It was just a part of our lives. But until a few years ago, it didn't get into my schedule, so it didn't get into my life. So you may be thinking, wow, Aaron, what changed? Because you want to know so much about me. I'm assuming all of this, you guys really want to know me. Um, <laughs> So when Facebook was at its prime, this was probably a little bit before you guys had Facebook, people would post their like every thought, their every meal, and their every activity. And it was a little overkill, I must admit. But I had this group of friends that would post all of these like exercise things they were doing. They were running races, and they were competing, and they were earning medals. And from my couch, I was liking every single post. You're like, way to go. I, Devin, I wish I had some of you in me. My brother is a division one athlete. He ran track and cross country in college, not me. It totally missed me and went all to my brother. But anyway, so one day, but I noticed that, that physically from the photos, it didn't seem like their bodies were changing. They just looked the same as they looked for years, but yet they were going through all of this pain. I was like, why would you do this? So I asked my super smart exercise physiology brother, why would people exercise 
if they didn't see any change in their body? Like, what would motivate people to do that? So he kind of dumbed it down because he's the smart one in the family. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this um, debate in the exercise physiology world. I had never heard about this. But it's the fit versus fat debate. And he kindly explained it to me in a way that wasn't offensive, that said, is it better to be just genetically on the thin side, but internally you're fat. You are cardiovascularly totally out of shape, and you just appear to people like you are healthy, but internally you are not healthy at all. Or is it better to carry a little more weight on your bones, but internally your lungs are just like thriving and your heart is beating with purpose and you just are thriving internally, but people can't really see that. He was like, which is better? Um, which we conversation shifted and we didn't talk about it anymore <laughs> um, after that debate. But I began to realize as I was mulling that conversation over my mind that in my mind, the only motivation for exercising was to lose weight and to change the way my physical appearance. Because I had an idea in my mind of the ideal body type and I had tried exercising before and I didn't get that result. So I was like, why bother? It's not gonna happen. It's gonna either require too much work or it's not physically possible for me to look like I want to look. And so I would just lose interest. These unrealistic expectations were really robbing me of internal health, right? My lungs and my heart were thinking, do something, get off the couch. Um, but sometimes how we think in one area really bleeds over to other areas of life, doesn't it? And I wonder if you, like me, feel that way sometimes about your spiritual life that just like I didn't see results when I was exercising and I gave up far too quickly, that maybe you like me do the same thing when we relate to God, especially when we relate to God in prayer. Sure we know that prayer is important. Like when I was clicking that like button, I could have written a 10 page paper on why exercise is important and everyone else should do it except for me. And I bet I could go around this room and ask each of you, why should we pray? Why is prayer important? And probably almost all of you could give me an answer of, of why we should pray, whether or not you pray yourself, right? You've grown up hearing about it. You know that it has power. But sometimes you may be like me and just save it till you need it. Another thing I would do in exercise is I have a group of friends that we would meet like every other year in Colorado, and I didn't want to embarrass myself. And so, with that high, you know, we live at sea level in LA, so I needed to do some, there's no way to do altitude training. I didn't go up to Luke's neck of the woods. I just would like exercise for a few weeks before I went to Colorado to see my friends so I could keep up with them on the hike. And then while I was hiking, I was like, I should exercise more. Then I get back to LA and I wouldn't do anything about it. So I wonder like, also with prayer, it's like, okay, things are pretty good right now in the semester. I don't have a lot to pray about, but I know that first week in December and finals is gonna be rough. So I'll just wait and start praying then and get good with God so then whenever I need something that first week of December that I know he'll hear me because I'm all right with him. But we know intellectually that this isn't how it works, but yet in practice, that's what we do, right? But what the Bible teaches about prayer is overwhelmingly that prayer changes things, that prayer is powerful. What if we chose to live our daily lives reflecting that truth, that there is power that happens when we pray, that there are things that are changed, that things that are different when we pray? What could happen on this campus if just the students in this room 
started to pray, started to believe that there really are things God will do if we pray and ask him that he's not going to do if we don't. What could happen if we don't just intellectually believe that prayer is powerful, but that it worked its way into our schedule, that we so believed in the power of prayer that we made time for it each and every day. Just think about the difference it would make in your own life, the difference it would make in the people around you and your family and those you're related to. But like exercise to me, prayer is mysterious. How it works, I can't explain it. It's, it's hard to do, and I don't see answers quickly. I, too, am discouraged. Like, God, didn't you hear me? There was a deadline I gave you. I need to know the answer. Um, it's hard to do. It's hard to explain. It requires discipline. But yet we have this example in Jesus that no one in history understood prayer better than Jesus, right? No one believed more strongly in prayer than Jesus. And no one has ever prayed like he did. And so tonight, we're going to just look at his example. And it's so interesting, because when you look at the life of Jesus, it wasn't just like a religious activity that he did, that it really was this life-giving, soul-nourishing communion time with God. And so I truly believe, to the very core of my being, even more than I think that exercise really does help you cardiovascularly, that if we want God's kingdom to come here at USC, then we need to follow Jesus' example, that that's what it's going to take. Because again, if you think of the power and the force, just in this very room, if we began to pray like Jesus prayed. What could happen? And I honestly think that this side of heaven, we will never see the extent of our prayers, that you and I won't know the people whose hearts have been strengthened and encouraged because you prayed for them, the bodies that have been healed because you prayed and asked God, the souls that have been softened by God because you prayed for them. I don't think we'll ever see the full extent of our prayers. I think we will see some. And sometimes that's discouraging. We wish we could see more because that's motivating. But we just have to trust that God is at work in ways that we can't see, that we have to believe that prayer changes things. So the roadmap kind of for tonight is we're going to look at Jesus' example of prayer, and then we're going to dive into how he taught his followers to pray. So let me pray before we look at Jesus' example. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it so that we know the example of Jesus. We thank you for what he taught us about prayer, and we pray that you would instruct us tonight, that we would be people who leave this room committed to being people who pray. And would you just guide the time tonight? In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at one of the examples in Jesus' life. There are many. I chose one for the sake of time because I know some of you have things to do later tonight, not just be here with us. So if you were at Freshman Connection last night, this is going to be a review, but there will be no test. Um, but you can just nod your head and be like, yeah, I know what she's talking about. I was there. So we're going to look at Mark 1. If you want to open your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. If not, Mark 1, 29 through 35. This is just a glimpse into the daily life of Jesus. So it begins in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out demons, but would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. 
So let's stop and just review the day so far. So in the verses before we read, we see just Jesus had a really full day of ministry on the Sabbath. He had preached in the Capernaum synagogue. He spent the day at Simon and Andrew's house. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. He continued healing the sick and delivering the possessed. And I don't know about you, but if that would have been just one day of my life, I would have been like, I peace out, I'm exhausted. If there's ever reason to sleep till noon, it's that kind of a day, right? Like, I need to catch up on my sleep, because that is exhausting. But let's see what Jesus did. In verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So what you notice is that Jesus didn't sleep in, right? Quite the reverse, that the time alone with God was so valuable to him that he would like get up. There's no electricity, remember, it's dark. How does he know what time it is? He doesn't. There's no clue what time it is. Sneaking out of this house so not to wake anybody up and goes off in the dark to find a place where he can be alone and talk with God. Some uninterrupted time with God, that is what his soul desperately needed. And that's what he did. And it was a really good thing he did because right after sunrise, who comes and finds him? But his disciples saying, everybody's looking for you. Come on. There's urgent needs. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But this is a question I would like you to consider tonight. What could happen if we decided that like Jesus, we would habitually withdraw daily to, to give God our full attention? Let me say that again, because I really want you to think about this. What could happen if we decided that like Jesus, we would habitually withdraw daily to give God our full attention. Because what you see over and over again in these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life is that this was a habit of his. This was a pattern. Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Not intermittently, not when it was convenient, not when he was feeling well-rested, but that this was a consistent pattern of his life. He was intentional about withdrawing from the distractions of life, the demands of life, to give God focused attention. So in looking at Jesus' example, two things I'd like us to consider tonight. If we want to be people who are really devoted to prayer, are these things. We need a time to pray, and we need a place to pray. So the time it's gonna be different for each of you because the time really is the best time of your day. I'm a morning person, and so to me, the best time to pray is in the morning. I wanna start my day out with Jesus. As we were talking last night, for some of the, the girls in my small group were saying, evening, evening is the best time for me. Maybe for some of you, like in between classes. Figure out a time that works for you, put it in your calendar and make it happen. But do it regularly. Create this habit of meeting with God regularly. And another thing to consider is just the place. So you want a private place, free of distractions, which will likely not be your bedroom or on your phone. Because like, when you're reading the Bible on your phone, then like an Instagram alert comes out. Oh, I have to look at that. I have to like it so they know that I saw it. Or anything else that can come up on your phone. And so finding a place on campus that will be free of distractions. So 
Maybe for me, when I was in school, it was a study lounge on my hall, because I did it in the morning, and typically there weren't a lot of people up in the morning doing that, and if people were up studying in the morning, they didn't want to talk with me. They were cramming for an exam. So that worked best for me, but I needed to get out of my room. I needed to get away from people. So figuring out a time and a place that works for you, um, but you're going to have to be creative, and maybe ask some upperclassmen, what's worked for you, or are there secret places on campus that I don't know about that are really cool? But I don't know about you, but when I look at this passage, I relate a lot more to the disciples than I do to Jesus. Because I'm one of those people that wakes up and I have the to-do list running in my head. I know what I need to get done. I know where I need to get started, the emails to check, the texts that, because I sleep with my phone on silent and I go to bed earlier than you guys. So I wake up with this, this like list of text messages. I'm like, oh, should I text them or should I wait till a normal hour when uh, they're going to be awake? Um, but that's not the precedent that Jesus set for us, right? But the disciples, I'm a lot more like them. The urgency of the day crowds out the invitation to be alone with God and to really connect deeply with him uninterruptedly. But I think it's easy also to think, well, Jesus was fully God. Yeah, he was fully man, but he probably didn't need the kind of sleep that I need, right? Like, I need a lot of sleep. Also, he didn't go to USC, and so he didn't have homework, and he had papers to write. But he didn't even go to university, so how can he possibly understand? But to remind yourself that, that Jesus was fully human. He, was, he knew exhaustion. He knew the demands of people. He felt that. But I think what you see in him is what we need is that resolve. That he resolved that this was a priority and he was going to keep it a priority. And so he resolved in his mind that time with God was more precious to him and more valuable to him than the extra sleep that he was going to get if he slept any longer. And as the disciples watched Jesus' pattern, they began to see that that the way Jesus prayed and the way Jesus related to God was just so different than they related to God. And so they asked him one day, Lord, teach us to pray, which we think, well, that's a very normal request. Like if I was around someone that did something much better than I did, then obviously I would want to ask them like, hey, can you teach me to do that? I want to become better at that. But it's interesting because these were Jewish men who grew up going to synagogue and praying regularly. They knew how to pray and what to pray. And they prayed throughout the day. They prayed on the Sabbath. They prayed at the synagogue. They knew what to pray. But they noticed that there was something so different and so unique about Jesus' prayer that they asked him, teach us to pray. So the passage we're going to look at tonight is a passage that you've probably said at funerals. You've probably recited at church. It's very familiar. We're going to, actually, I want us to read it together. This might be a different translation than what you memorized it in. It's a different translation for me. But I want us to read it together to kind of jog your memory. It's the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to go through it phrase by phrase and learn some things tonight. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Let's begin this together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven debtors. Sorry. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sorry, thank you for being patient with my translational issues. Um, so he begins with, this is how you should pray. It's not a magic formula. It's not a poem to recite. It's not just a repetitious phrases that you just repeat mindlessly. No, this is just an example to follow. This is a model. This is a pathway. So it's really familiar to, to a lot of us that we have grown up. You might even see it in movies, like when people are, um, usually it's like funerals or things like that. So he begins with, 
our Father in heaven. But this creator and sustainer of the universe has asked us to refer to him as Father. That the best way that God could think to describe himself to humanity, someone who loves us unconditionally, someone who protects us, someone who is faithful to keep his promises, someone who has authority in our life is his Father. Not because he's a man, not because he's male, not because he's a literal father, but because that's in our human way of thinking in our world, that's the best description that fits who he is to us. It's just like if I was to run into the new president, because she's going to have a big party tomorrow. Are you guys going to go? looks amazing. If I saw her in the hallway and gave her a big hug, I was like, Carol, so good to see you. And she'd be like, and you are? Like, I wouldn't treat her as a friend because she's not a friend. We are not peers. She has authority. There's a way that I need to address her out of respect for her position, right? When God says, this is who I am and this is how I want you to refer to me, he says, call me dad. That's the protocol. It means respect. He has authority. He has my best interest in mind. And I know that a lot of you in this room didn't grow up with great dads and that this really is a point of pain for you. You're like, I don't understand how I could call God father because I don't understand what a good father would look like. And I was listening to a message one time, and what was really helpful for me is that God is not the reflection of your earthly father, that he's really the perfection of it, that no one has a perfect father, that we all grow up in dysfunctional homes, that dads do the best they know how to do. So to remember that God is the perfection of your earthly father, that no voice is sweeter to him than yours, that he is never too busy for you, that you're never interrupting him, you're not intruding him. He is delighted to see you. This past weekend, my family gathered for a football game. We don't gather for Christmas or for birthdays, but for football, um, we do gather because it's important in the Gillum home. Um, and so my uncle and cousin, my sister, my brother-in-law, we all flew out. My brother lives about 50 miles, the exercise physiologist lives about 50 miles from here. So we gathered and he really wanted to show his lab and his office to my uncle. It was Riverside on Saturday and it was like over 100 degrees. And my brother forgot his keys. Um, and it's hot. And so we're touring once DPS gets there. And it was, it was really fun. But my two-year-old nephew, my youngest nephew, had just had it. We didn't prepare for like water or food or anything. We just didn't, the morning didn't go as planned. And so he just, on the way out, he just turns to my brother and is like, hold me, daddy. Hold me. Look at his rosy cheek. You can't even see. He's just like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. And you look at my brother, and he's not like gleeful in Hudson's pain at all, but he knows there's water and there's air conditioning in the van. We're going to in and out Like, Huddy, we're going to be A-OK, -okay, buddy. But he knew as a dad he had a plan. But he delighted in that Hudson wanted to be with him. And I think that's what I want you to see about the heart of God. If you fast, one more photo over from Naja. Um, this is post in and out So this is like... I got my water, I got my burger, but I still want you to hold me, Dad. I want, you, I want to be with you. And my brother's expression is the same in both photos, and I want you to see that in the heart of God as well, is that God delights in you coming to him when you're like, I am so stressed, I can't even think straight, or my car won't start, I don't have money to fix it, or I'm stranded in a really sketchy area, and I don't know what to do, or 
my family life is falling apart and I'm going to go home at Christmas and I don't know what I'm going to find. That he wants us to come to him as a dad and say, hold me, help me, I need you. Help. Just like your earth, you wanted your earthly father to be. Just like Hudson does with Trevor. And then he invites us in the next phrase to say, hallowed be your name. That this amazingly huge, awesome God says, you can call me father, but pause and just remind yourself of who I am. Declare my greatness, that I am all-knowing, all-powerful, totally sovereign, that I know the past and the future, that I am eternal. And the longer we stay in this part of reminding ourselves and declaring who he is, the smaller our problems become, the more perspective we gain on what we're getting ready to ask. The whole list of things that we are coming to God, wanting him to fix. But if we rush through this part of reminding and declaring who God is, then our problems are totally overwhelming. But when we pause and we consider who it is that we are talking to, who it is that has invited us to call him Father, it brings immense perspective to life and the situations that you're facing. So to remember that, that God's not Santa Claus. We're not presenting our request to him. He's not like your Amazon wish list that you like rank in priority. Like these are the things I would like by Tuesday and then if you, maybe by Thursday these things. That's, that's not who God is. So when we stop and we really reflect on hallowed be thy name, this is who you are, it really guides the rest of our prayer. Then he says this, this phrase that you're coming to be very familiar with because of the series. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's this whole idea of like, before we get to my agenda and what I have going on, I need to surrender to you. This is the part that is easy to skip, right? Because it's this reminder that like, okay, God, I love your kingdom, but here's my kingdom. And I'm queen of my kingdom. And some things aren't going right in my kingdom. Could you fix some things in my kingdom? Because... I really would appreciate it if life went more my way. And it's focusing on, on my kingdom. This is usually where I begin in prayer, like, fix it, help, you know, do what you can do. I'm done. I just wipe my hands of it, you know. But God wants me to enter into prayer in a different sort of way, to declare who he is and to remind myself that he is capable and I am not. That I need to get to this place of surrender. Of, I want what you want more than what I want what I want, and sometimes that takes a while to get there. God, you know that I don't want what you want. You know that I really want what I want. So would you help me to want what you want more than I want what I want? Because right now, I just want what I want. <laughs> help. <laughs> we just need to get to this place of surrender, of you know what's best. You know that there's in and out waiting. I can't see that. I am just hot, and my truck isn't working. You know, That's what a two-year-old thinks. But you know, at 42, I'll be frustrated about other things, and God still is not overwhelmed by my problems at 102. He is capable, but he wants me to, to get to the place where I can say, thine over mine, because when I push, I regret it every time. That I, God, I want thy will over my will, because guys, I'm old enough to give you multiple examples that when I have pushed and pushed and pushed and gotten my way, it has led to immense regret. And I'm like, God, why did you let that happen? He's like, oh, can I just remind you that that is exactly what you asked for? Well, 
if I would have known, I would have never asked for that. That's why praying for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come, not my own little kingdom where I'm the queen of my kingdom, letting him be the king and the ruler of the universe. To remember that this is a struggle and it's going to take some time and that every day we need to spend some time in the struggle of like, okay, open-handed, help me to trust you. I you know what's best. Because really, to remind ourselves that the purpose of prayer is to align my heart with his, not to get what I want. Because if I get my will over his will, it will lead to regret every single time. And then he moves on to say, give us today our daily bread. And this would remind them of really the Israelites in the desert where every day God would provide manna, this, I don't, mysterious, flaky thing on the ground that would sustain them day after day, year after year, and meet their needs. That everything that you and I have comes from God. That God can meet every need in our life. And so big or small, miraculous or boring, he wants us to bring it to him. And to invite him in and say, okay, God, do what you can do. I can't. I have these needs. I have needs that I don't even know are going to crop up, but you know, and you already have the provision to meet those needs. So here are my concerns. And then in verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That we need to spend some time confessing, just owning where we missed the mark. That, okay, God, there were things today that I could have done a lot better, that I didn't honor you in these areas, that I was unkind, that I was rude, that I was impatient, and owning that before him and get, asking for his forgiveness. And reminding myself that just as I need to be forgiven, I need to forgive other people. And so when I own my sin before God, it reminds me that I'm in need of grace and that I need to extend grace to other people, right? And then the last thing in verse 13, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one can also be translated evil. That when we pray, it's not just like, okay, I'm going to pray so that I'm going to get right with God and then I can live however I want all week and then I'll pray again and I'll get right with God and then I'll just keep living the way I want to live. But that's not it. That, that God really has a plan and purpose for our lives and he wants to be invited into it. And we are weak, and I say we with me in the middle, and frail people. And easily, I'm one of the most easily distracted people. Like, okay, focus, Aaron, focus, focus. And that sin looks appealing that I am easily deceived, that I can't see where that choice is going to lead me. So God, I need your protection, and I need your discernment to know, help me say no to that. Help me to see the other side of that so it motivates me to say no, that I don't want to live that consequence. Protect me, God, from temptation. So this model is a model for us. We don't need to, to memorize it. If you don't already have it memorized, you don't need to memorize it because it's not something that God's like... Pray this at 7 a.m. every morning and life's going to be grand. That's not how it works. This is, provides elements of how God wants us to talk to him. So I'm going to borrow something from a really wise man that I wish I could take credit for. That in case you don't remember the Lord's Prayer, that my hope is that you would remember these three things, these three elements of the Lord's Prayer. So the first thing is that we would be people who would declare God's greatness that we would list his attributes, that we would lift up his character, his personality, and that would reinforce our understanding of who God is, that we would declare the greatness of God over and over and over again all throughout the day. And that the second thing that we would do is that we would surrender our wills, that we would surrender. Like Neil's message two weeks ago um, on obedience and surrender, that the Pharisees 
were obedient people, but they were not surrendered people. And we need to be people who say, God, I trust you. I trust that you know that you are a good, good father and you have good plans for me. And that when I walk how you want me to walk, um, then that pleases you and blesses me. Remember that thine over mine, because when I push, I regret it every time. That surrender is what we need. And then the last thing is that we would acknowledge our dependence. We would acknowledge our dependence in provision, that, that God has the provision to meet every need you have now and you will ever have. He is totally capable. That we would acknowledge our, our dependence for pardon, that he alone can forgive sin and that we need to go to him and ask forgiveness and be people who also extend forgiveness to other people. And that we would acknowledge our dependence on protection, that God, you see where my choices lead. Would you protect me from evil? That will lead me far away from you. That's not what I want. So we would, first of all, what is it? Declare God's greatness. The second thing, we would surrender your will. And the third thing is you would acknowledge your dependence. So remember, I borrowed this. Do not give me credit for this. So it's D. S-A, don't start off asking. Isn't that brilliant? I wish I could claim it. I didn't come up with it, but I think it's a great way to remember, wow, how God wants us to pray, that we would declare who he is, that we would surrender our wills, that we would acknowledge our dependence, that we wouldn't just come to him with our wish list or, or like an Amazon echo that's like, what time is it? Help, you know, we de ask, demand things of God but that we wouldn't start off asking, that our relationship would change with him as we would get to know him through prayer. So then tips as I wrap up from someone who's just a little bit older than you, um, so has prayed a little bit longer than you, only because I'm older than you, um, is to look at your planners. I don't know if you guys use Google Calendar or if you're like paper people. I don't know. Matt's like, no one uses paper, Aaron. Oh, gosh. What is, what is this, like 1995? Um, no, okay, fine. Pull out your Google Calendar and figure out a time in your schedule where you will pray, where you will declare God's greatness. You will surrender your will, and you will acknowledge your dependence. So people who are serious about something make time for it in their schedule, right? So tomorrow morning... Bethany and I will be in my living room at 6.30 sweating like pigs. Why? Because we became serious about exercising, and we make it happen. And we don't text each other the night before and say, hey, do you still want to do it? No, no, no. We are there. Unless we are vomiting. Um, unless I'm really ill. Very, very ill. There are few reasons not to be there at 6.30 in the morning. Why? Because we became serious about it. But getting serious about something means nothing unless it gets in your schedule, right? So... 6.30 in the morning. So then I'm wide awake to be with Jesus because I've just been tortured by this lady named Kayla for 30 minutes. And so I'm like, ah, I hate my life, but okay, Jesus, let's do this. So find a time, your best time, where you're wide awake and you can really stay awake in prayer, not take a nap with Jesus. And some of you may be more, <laughs> you know you've done it. You know it's true. <laughs> I did it this week. Um, some of you are like more like free spirits. Maybe I have a little bit of a free spirit in me that's like, you know, I don't really need discipline to grow in this. Like it can just happen over time, right? Just like my body fat index will decrease as I just sit on the couch and watch Netflix. No, it doesn't happen like that. You, this is not like la-la land. This is real life that things happen as we work at it, as we're disciplined, as we're structured, as we intentionally choose to get it into our life. It's not going to happen if you just have wishful thinking and hope. 
Trust me. Make it a non-negotiable time. 6.30 in the morning, I don't do anything else but exercise with, with Bethany. That's, that is all I do. And then I am wide awake, friends. So make it non-negotiable and stick to the plan. If you stick to it, then you will really see so much progress and be motivated to pray because you're seeing answers to prayer and you're seeing God move in really neat ways in your life and the lives of your friends. So, okay, pick a time. Then you got to pick a place for your distraction, which is not your bedroom, not your bed. A place that you sit upright in an un maybe uncomfortable chair so you stay awake. Or maybe you go for a walk without your, or maybe you put your earbuds in but don't have anything playing so no one talks to you. Think of something. I don't know. Whatever you need to do to get it into your schedule and to find a place free of distraction. So your phone is not a place free of distraction. Your phone needs to be like on do not disturb or totally off. Do not have it just on silent because the vibration will just be too enticing to pick it up. And then I'd say find a friend. The only way I have seen success in exercising is because of Sweet Bethany because she never cancels on me. She is so faithful. And so I would say find a friend and say, I want to grow in this area. Let's hold each other accountable. Do you want to do it together initially while we grow in this or do it at the same time or just check in on each other how to go today or, oh, I didn't do it yet or, oh, thanks for the reminder. But include other people in it and that will lend to so much success. This is just a quick flyover of prayer. Prayer is something mysterious and something amazing that will really impact you and the people around you if you will choose to invite God in, to hold your hands up and to surrender and invite him and to declare who he is and to acknowledge that you need him, that you are never going to get to a place in life where you don't need him. Even in grad school, you're going to need him. You know, even beyond that, in med school, you'll definitely need him. Um, so let me pray, and then we're going to invite the worship team back up. Father, what a treat it is to be in your presence tonight with your people. We do just that you would... Help us to say no to temptation to sleep longer or to choose to do other just time-wasting things. That we would be people who would want to see you at work in prayer in us and through us. So we thank you for the invitation that you've given us um, to pray and to be people who really get to see you at work. And so thanks for the, the time together. Thanks for this amazing worship team and the practice they put in and the way they just lead us to acknowledge that you are an amazing God and that there is none like you. We love you. In your name we pray.